So we talked a couple times now about recent turmoil, the struggles of the institutional church, the abuse of power, abuse of victims. What's especially come to light again and again are questions regarding the ministry and the oversight of bishops specifically. The question that really seems to be just beneath the surface is, what are bishops and what are they for? It seems a fitting time to go back to basics. What's the vocation of a bishop? Thankfully, we have one right here that we can talk to. <laughs> Uh, I'm happy to reflect on the vocation of bishop because uh, in these times when we're aware of the failure of bishops and a lack of confidence now that some people are, are expressing in bishops, it's important for me, but I think for all of us together to think about why has the Lord established the church in the way that he has and what's the role of the bishop. We don't want to judge the Lord's uh, plan or judge the church herself only by the people who fall short and where we see that, that there is, is either misuse of office or a lack of understanding of what the, the responsibilities of, of a bishop might be to say that, well, this was a bad plan to, to start with. It's good to go back and, and see how the church has understood what's the life and ministry of the bishop all about and where it's that we should sort of look to put our confidence in, in the plan of the Lord for the life of his church in every age. One of the reasons I thought it was timely to bring this up is later this month, there are several really beautiful feast days on our calendar. Uh, one that may not always get the same level of, uh, of attention as, as other popular saints is St. Ignatius of Antioch. He has some of the boldest claims in the early church about the centrality of the bishop's vocation. And there's a quote here from one of his letters. He says, see that you all follow the bishop even as Jesus Christ does the father and the presbytery, that is the priests, as you would the apostles and reverence the deacons as being the institution of God. Let no man do anything connected with the church without the bishop. Wherever the bishop shall appear, there let the multitude of people also be, even as wherever Jesus Christ is, there is the Catholic Church. It raises this, this question even more, like we're, it, makes, it can make us uncomfortable, I think, in modern sensibilities, American sensibilities, that my faith, to claim to have Catholic faith, is dependent on these bishops. And so St. Ignatius has a beautiful reflection. He holds up an ideal, I think, for us to all look to and, and aspire to, but it's not an ideal in the sense that it's not realistic. I would say humbly that if there's anything that we could say to describe the teaching of Jesus and his public ministries, that it was very practical and, and uh, realistic. And people experienced in Jesus during his public ministry, the love of the Father in very practical ways, right where they lived in, in their ordinary circumstances. It was Jesus' desire then that the church provide that opportunity for people in every age. So now in our time, we look back, of course, through the Gospels and we remember what Jesus did and what he said many generations ago. But we don't only remember, we have the opportunity to encounter him now in the church that he has established. He has established the church in such a way that, that there is a practical uh, gathering of people and a practical experience of the, of the risen Jesus in a number of different ways. One of the ways that the Lord provides for his people is by calling uh, certain ones to, to ordain ministry and who have not only a function in the community, but who become living sacraments of the presence of Jesus in the community of believers. So the most practical way that our people experience that is in their parish communities where the pastor is sent to them and he stands at the head of the community in the person of Jesus himself. And they have uh, the priest and people together experience the presence of Jesus and they experience the life of the church right there. They don't have to go to Rome to experience it. They don't have to go to Jerusalem to experience that the Lord provides for them there. 
the priests are sent to those parish communities by the bishop who stands in the person of Jesus at the head of the local church, what we normally would call a, a diocese. That personal representation of Jesus sacramentally in, in the person of the bishop is a unique aspect of, of uh, our life in the church and, and it's understood to be a very specific part of Jesus' plan. I've often heard the vocation of a bishop described as manifesting in these three mandates to, to teach, to govern, and to sanctify. I happen to be something of a church nerd. I mean, I work for the church, right? Uh, and I was talking to a priest friend of mine. He, he suggested, he said, well, I think people are pretty aware of what priests do because, of, as you mentioned, parish life and all that attends to that. But I don't know that, that most people are very clear on what those things mean. We, what does it mean to teach, to govern, and to sanctify? So you, can you give us kind of a practical rundown of how those things manifest, at least in your life or for us here? Sure. Again, we know this is it's based on the responsibilities that Jesus first gave the apostles. They, in uh, time, became the spiritual heads of local churches, groups of believers gathered uh, around them, and, and they carried out this, this threefold responsibility that Jesus had, had uh, given uh, to them. It's a responsibility that comes to every baptized person in some way, but, but the bishop would have this as a particular responsibility to teach, to govern, and to sanctify the, the people of God in, in the area over which he has some responsibility. Maybe the easiest one to understand is the, is the teaching role, but it's, it's central to the role of the bishop. Like every teacher of the faith, the bishop proclaims Jesus Christ and the, the coming of Jesus, the son of the of the eternal father who has come among us as our savior and, and brother. We proclaim the gospel of Jesus as, as it's been handed down to us in the scriptures. We also teach what it means to respond to the invitation of Jesus to be his disciples and, and his friends. Jesus has uh, uh, established a new covenant between God and, and his people through the, the power of his death and, uh, and resurrection. So we understand what God wishes to do for us. He wants to save us from sin and, and bring us to eternal life through the power of Jesus. It's important that we understand what our side of the covenant means. So how do we live as, as God's people so as to receive what it is that God has in mind for us to have? It's different ways of referring to that, the moral life, a virtuous life, gospel living. Part of the bishop's responsibility is, is to help people in a particular place and in a particular time and, and culture understand what that looks like. So what are both the demands and the benefits, we might say, of, of living uh, a life more and more in conformity uh, to Jesus Christ? In that way, we can come to understand ourselves as God's holy people. God's chosen us, but we want to choose to um, receive that designation, that, that dignity as God's people. So, so it means that, that we turn away from sin and, and embrace the gospel in its most basic articulation. Repent and believe in the gospel. As St. Ignatius points out, that the sacraments are tied to the ministry of the bishop. He's the, the guarantor sort of of the validity of the sacraments. Is that, is that a fair way to say it? Uh, right, and I have, according to custom, you know, I associate priests uh, with me in, in the diocesan presbyterate who bring this experience in, in um, sort of the ordinary daily, weekly life of, uh, of people. But ultimately, you're right, the, the bishop is the, the guarantor of the, the sacramental life of the church in a particular diocese. The church has been established to give us a foretaste of, of the heavenly banquet uh, to help us experience already 
here on earth, the kingdom of, of God. It's, it's a reality now in the church. We will experience it in its fullness when we're living with the Trinity in, uh, in, in heaven. Part of the bishop's responsibility and essential part of it is, is to see that the sacraments are provided for God's people and that they're celebrated in a way that's, that's valid and suitable, reverent, according to the church's understanding, according to the church's rites and, and, uh, and traditions. It's one of the joys of every priest, and certainly is my joy as a bishop, to be able to, to celebrate Mass and the sacraments uh, with the people. And it's a big part of my work, you might say, my responsibility week by week to travel to different places, parishes, schools, other apostolates, uh, to, to be present at, at events where the, where the sacraments are, are celebrated. There is teaching that's connected to the sacraments. So as you say, these, these threefold responsibilities are, are interrelated part of uh, the renewal of the sacramental life of the church at the time of the Second Vatican Council was to include the proclamation of the scriptures in a very uh, substantial way when, when the sacraments are, are celebrated, when the liturgy is celebrated. And uh, usually along with the proclamation of the scriptures goes preaching that has something uh, to do with leading us into the mystery that, we, that we're celebrating in that liturgical rite. So we, we're teaching and sanctifying at the same time, and they uh, reinforce and, and enrich each other. So then, uh, how should we understand governance? Depending on whom you ask and what time of year or what part of the election cycle we're in, government can be a, a dirty word. So, uh, And it may not be something that most of us associate with life in the church. It's a good question. It's a serious part of the responsibility that, again, the Lord has given to, first to the apostles and that, that, that comes down to, uh, to bishops. So there's a couple ways that, that help me understand it. One is to see the role, uh, something like the head of a household, where you take some responsibility for the, the, the good order, the working together, the provision for the people who are part of the, part of the family. And, and to see that everyone uh, has his or her proper role and that that's respected and that the gifts and the contributions of each person are called, called forth. Part of what we have seen recently, we might say in the negative, where bishops have failed to exercise that responsibility of governing well is that, that you have bad actors in the household who are taking advantage of vulnerable members of, of, the, of the household of faith. It's the responsibility of the bishop in that case to, to act, to call the, uh, the person to account who's, who's doing something wrong, but also to protect the life and the, the dignity of, of somebody who might be in a vulnerable uh, position or be, be in harm's way because of the, of the actions or the reactions of someone else. Another way of looking at it, some ways flows from an understanding of what happens at Pentecost with the coming of the Holy Spirit on the church. So the Spirit provides a variety of charisms and uh, gifts to, to the baptized. Some of those are mentioned in Scripture, but, but certainly we see that, that every person's life and participation in the, in the church is important, and it helps make the church who, who she is in, in, in the Lord's plan. An important responsibility of the bishop is, we might say, to help order those charisms, so to, to um, try to empower people who have a particular talent or um, a, a understanding to take a role of leadership in, in the church, to see that those who are given leadership have proper instruction and preparation, then to call the people of God together so that they might experience uh, together the variety of, of gifts that are provided by the Spirit, but that are brought into an experience of, of one church. It's, it's an important characteristic of the church, this, this unity. And the bishop calling everyone together and, and ordering those gifts is a, an important point and moment of, of uh, unity in the church's life. 
one way of looking at how you're governing the local church, I realize is under the, the banner of the pastoral vision that you've, you've offered, which is just a declaration of the, the nature of the, of the church, a reminder. Hey, everybody, this is, our, this is our call. We are to be one church, encountering Jesus, equipping disciples, living mercy. And in, in some way, those, those kind of correspond, it seems, to the, to the three aspects of your, your own vocation, right? To, to teach, govern, and sanctify, to equip disciples, to, to live mercy in the way that we order things, and to draw people to Jesus, to make sure that every, every work that we're about is about encountering Jesus. So I just would offer that to whoever's listening, that there's a, there's a hermeneutic key there mm-hmm. about uh, how, how we are to understand the church, even in that, that simple statement. It's easier to overlook because it's a short statement, but that's, that's an expression of what we're talking about. Right, and when we articulated the pastoral vision, we didn't uh, set out with the preconceived notion to, to sort of restate the obvious, but we listened to, to the people and prayed and uh, reflected on the church's understanding of herself over all, all these generations and, and then articulated what I think is both a reflection of the nature of the church but also a call to action or a, a, and a call to reflection to, to be transformed by God's grace more and more into that reality. And... I think it's a proper exercise of the bishop's role to uh, both articulate that after proper consultation and, and reflection and prayer, and then invite our people to it. We also have to provide the means for, for that to happen, and that's what we've set about doing in some of our diocesan programs. Um, because it's one thing to say we're all going to be this way, uh, it's another thing to think how are we going to, how will we get there? But it involves teaching and a deeper understanding of our life in Christ. It involves prayer and becoming more and more the saints that, that, uh, that, we're, that we're called to be. And then the, the proper ordering of the gifts that the Holy Spirit provides. And as you mentioned, the dispensing of, of the mercy of, of Christ in, in various settings. So to, to those who um, need the corporal or spiritual works of mercy who might expect them from us, but also uh, humbling ourselves to receive the mercy of God for our own healing and, uh, and forgiveness so that we might continue to claim our identity as, as God's sons and daughters in Christ. This may seem like a very simple question. I love simple questions. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What does it mean for me to follow the bishop in essence? All right, so what, what does it mean for us to follow you as our father? What it means to follow the bishop, it means to follow Christ. And so the bishop is given the responsibility uh, to represent Jesus to be, as I said, a, a living sacrament of him in, at the head of the, of the community of, of, of believers. We're all aware that none of us can do that perfectly. Uh, at different moments, some of us are able to, to reflect or to, to portray a credible um, manifestation of Jesus, and sometimes it's not, it's not so credible. To our great sadness and shame, we know that, that there are times currently uh, in recent history, but also in the history of the church, where, where bishops have, have acted contrary to the, the, the life and, and the example of, of Jesus and have led people astray or, or harmed the flock because of, of their actions. It's important then that bishops take this responsibility seriously and in humility accept collaboration and direction and correction when, when, when that's needed so that we listen to the people of God who reflect back to us the kind of shepherd that they desire and their well-founded hope that they are looking for Jesus and will find 
behind him, you know, in, in response to the bishop's leadership. It's an interesting aspect of the of the plan of Jesus that he has established the authority of pastors in, in the church from the very beginning and, and now through through the ages. So he didn't just give us an instruction book and, and he didn't um, give us just a place that we all had to come to uh, in order to sort of solidify our membership. But he gave us living pastors who, who are strengthened and inspired and formed by the Holy Spirit. We need to be open to receive that uh, grace. But the genius of it is that through good pastors, one generation to the next, the, the church has been able to, to thrive. There have been moments when the thriving of the church has been thwarted by, by pastors who were not faithful or, or conscientious. But we, we think about all that it has taken for the, uh, the church of Jesus Christ to get from Pentecost in Jerusalem to us here in Nebraska in the 21st century. And we realize that it's taken a certain amount of steadfastness and it's taken a certain amount of flexibility. And the charism of the bishop, we might say, is with the, the help of, of others and, and in his own prayer to discern prudently when to be steadfast and, and when, to, when to be flexible. So only people can do that. You know, it, it, a, a book can't do it on its own. Uh, we, have a, we have the scriptures, of course, and we have the subtle teaching of, of the church, but how to understand it, how to apply it, how to proclaim it, love it in particular circumstances and in, in, in various places, in various cultures, but for people in various stages of their life. So the church's pastors, the bishops, other, there are others who exercise that office in collaboration with us, but the bishops have the primary responsibility, are, are entrusted with the, with the life and, and the care of, of God's people. Uh, these are the people for whom Jesus has died and has been raised. So it's a, it's a huge responsibility, but because Jesus entrusts it to people, it must be possible for us to do it with the help of grace. But we see what it, what it does make possible in, in the church, in Jesus' plan and as we do cooperate with grace, that we can teach the faith, that we can celebrate the sacraments in fidelity to the, the church's tradition and, and to the revealed uh, will of, of God for us, that so we can make the pastoral applications and pastoral adaptations, we might say, where those are not only necessary but good and where they can bear fruit in, in the lives of the people. So, I mean, one of the simplest examples of that, we might say, is to, just to know that Jesus didn't speak English, and neither did the apostles. And so we are able to hear the gospel uh, and the words and the experiences of Jesus in his public ministry proclaimed for us in a language that, that, that we can understand. So it was the, the authority and the solicitude of the church's pastors at various moments that makes makes that possible for us. We can have dioceses and parishes established and new communities of believers spring up and, and flourish in places that the apostles would never have heard of. So again, that's a somewhat uh, a simplistic answer to a, to a simplistic question, but we, but it, it's, it's the Lord's plan. I think it's a good plan. God knows we fumble and, and fall short in, in, you know, in, in fulfilling it, but we want to judge the, the Lord's wisdom by the saints, like St. Ignatius, who carried it out well and not by our own shortcoming. Thank you for that. There's a lot of richness there for us to, to pay attention to, at least for me. I can speak for myself, but I invite others to do the same. If, if we're faithful to and we're interested in the church as this thing that Jesus is doing, this people that he's calling together, then I think the natural 
one of the natural things is something that we're asked to do every single weekend or whenever we go to Mass is to pray for our bishop. Uh, that is always there um, as a reminder that we're, we're dependent. We're, we're part of a particular people and with particular faces and names. Um, it's not because we worship the bishop, but it's because we're given to him and him to us. So I'll continue to pray for you, Archbishop, as I know you're praying for all of us. I would just say that I think that's, that's one of the things that, uh, that I'm seeing in a lot of corners as well, with people who are, yeah, they're frustrated by different problems that have happened recently, but, but there's a renewal in, in prayer in a lot of places where, where there's just a real recognition that at the end of the day, this, this, is, what, this is what it's all about. It's about asking Jesus to overcome sin and death and, and then trusting in, in what he is doing and paying attention to what he has given us, i.e. the church, and not the thing that I could come up with in my head that's perfect. Um, but so, so thank you for illuminating that very, very clearly uh, for us here today. Thanks. Um, I mean, people tell me that they pray for me on, on their own, but certainly I know that's happening at Mass and I feel prayed for. And, and uh, I just, uh, I'm, I'm grateful, but I encourage people to keep those, those prayers coming. It's, it's in everybody's best interest that we have a good bishop. <laughs> and and uh, not, not that I or any other bishop are, are popular or famous or anything like that, but that it's, uh, it's, in, it's for my salvation, but for everybody else's. Uh, uh, benefit that I be close to Jesus and that I be open to the action of grace in, in my life. And so I uh, appreciate the prayer so that that can be more and more possible for me and, and for all of us together. Amen. Thank you, Archbishop. Yeah, you're welcome. Thank you. Thank you for listening to The Shepherd's Voice, a podcast of the Archdiocese of Omaha. For more information, visit archomaha.org slash podcast.